your sin brings death. Jesus brings life. So we are continuing through Paul's letter to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Unless there is some huge, colossal, obvious act of God, we're going to finish first Thessalonians and look at the second letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians. And uh, the tone changes a bit uh, this morning. So, sadly, uh, many people think about the Christian life as a set of rules to be obeyed or a list of things to avoid. But from what we know of Paul through kind of extra biblical sources and his writings that are now scripture, we know that Paul saw the Christian life as what happens to you and in you and through you when you come to know God. Not know about God, but when you really come to know God, because there's a big difference in that. Generally in life, and maybe some of you have experienced this, uh, people won't listen to you until they know that you care about them. It's that old thing about nobody knows, nobody, hang on, (laughs) it's so old I've forgotten it. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's the same with Paul here. This is a great example of it. The passage we looked at last week, 2.17 to 3.13, really summed up how much Paul cared, what was going on, what he wanted to be happening in their lives. It was just Paul pouring out his heart. And I said that I've never understood Paul as much as when reading this column of text. Uh, in my Bible, and thank you sincerely to those of you that reached out and sent me a message last uh, week based on what I said last week. Thank you for, for listening enough to then and caring enough uh, to reach out. Uh, so there were some wonderful reminders last week for the Thessalonians, also for us. Today then, things are changing a bit. The tone changes a bit. What do we do then in the here and now? So this is how I feel, says Paul. This is what I want to be happening It's not happening right now, so what do we do in the meantime? What do we focus on in the meantime? He's he's now beginning, as he does in in, in a lot of his letters, to get more practical towards the end. He's kind of finished with this, right, all right, this is how things are, and now he's moving on to what is next. Uh, So as Andre Vedeman read for us, again, thank you. Uh, We're going to be today in chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, the first big chunk of it. Well, all of it. It's very practical. The first big chunk of it is don't do this. Then he moves on to do. Do this. Uh, We said it via the WhatsApp message we sent out yesterday. I put it at the top of the live chat this morning. Uh, So for the third and final time, this is a very mature passage. If we were all together in church, uh, I would sing the praises of kids' church and encourage you and exhort you to, if you had kids in the room that you don't want, to be discussing this stuff with just yet. Maybe they're a little bit young. Now is the last chance because we're going into it. So, 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's read again verses 1 through to 8. Finally then, brothers and sisters, 
we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us about how you must live and please God, as you are in fact living, that you do so more and more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. In this matter, no one should violate the rights of his brother or take advantage of him, because the Lord is the avenger in all these cases, as we also told you earlier and warned you solemnly. For God did not call us to impurity, but in holiness. Consequently, the one who rejects this is not rejecting human authority, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So, just because Paul begins this section with finally then, uh, that doesn't mean that he's, he's finished. Uh, it means that he's finished one section of the letter and he's beginning the end. So he's started to wrap up. And again, as I said, as he does in a few of his letters, he's, he's going to wrap up with very practical things. Don't do this. Do this instead. Uh, he's moving from the present condition him included, we're together in spirit, we're, t- we're, we're apart face to face, but we're together heart to heart, we're together but apart, and there is lots of crossover there, again, from last week for us, for you, for me, for Sour Fellowship now, together apart, and uh, if you listen to our midweek teaching this week through Exodus, it's the, it's ex- the exact same thing, the same condition, the same uh, conditions, circumstances, from the institution of the Passover. So he's moving from how things are, together but apart, what's next for you? And he writes, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus, as you received instruction from us about how you must live and please God, as you're doing, that you do it more and more and more, because you know what we said when we were there. He says how you must live and please God, not hey, look, maybe some of you should consider this. This is, hey, believers, this is how you must live and please God. And then he says, as you're actually doing, but do it more and more and more and more and more. And what he means is above and beyond, go to a higher degree, a greater extent. He's saying there's always room for improvement in your Christian life. You're never, 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 ever, ever finished this side of eternity. He says, you do this for, because you know what we said. You've heard this before. And sometimes, lots of Christians constantly want to hear new truths. When what they need is to be reminded of old truths. We need exhortation to excel in what's already there, to press on to a greater experiencing of the truth as revealed to us in Scripture. And he says to the Thessalonians, I'm saying to you, yeah, you're doing it good. Do it more. Build on it more. Don't look for new, new, new. Build on what's already there more and more and more. And I was thinking about this this week. You've got to go with me on this one. Your Christian life is kind of like uh, Dubai. 
If you've lived in the Middle East for more than a couple of weeks, you've probably maybe been to Dubai, heard about Dubai, transited through Dubai. They're always building on top of what is there more and more and more and more. Some of you know that I was born in Dubai. Uh, my baby pictures of this beautiful bearded baby look nothing like the Dubai of now. There's this stunningly handsome baby with a beard in the middle of the desert, and they're just building on top of what's already there, more and more and more and more. And that's exactly what Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians to do. Don't look around for new, 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 deep, 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 hidden, hidden, hidden. Build on what is already there. Build on what you're already doing. Your Christian life is the same. It's not about discovering hidden things and deep knowledge that only a few people have got. Sure, to a degree, if you are a brand new believer, newish believer, some things are going to be brand new to you because you've never heard them before. But the longer you are living that Jesus-committed life, the same truths are going to come up again and again and again. And Paul writes, you know what we told you. You know the commands that we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Don't be those people that are always looking for better, hidden, deep knowledge. When really what we need is we need reminding every single day, every single week. Do you know what? You are human. That means you're broken. That means you're a sinner, and that is bad. That is really, really devastatingly bad. But God loves you. He wants you to be in right relationship with him, but your sin is stopping that. But don't worry. He has made a way for forgiveness and restoration. There's good news about your brokenness and your sin if you turn away from it and turn to him. We don't need to discover anything deeper, more life-changing than that. We need to double down on what we already know, not finding new stuff. Just building on what, we already, what we've already got, building on what's already been revealed and told and taught to us. So Paul says, you know what we said, more, more, more. And then he goes on to say, this is God's will, that you become holy that you keep away from sexual immorality. Maybe your Bible says, uh, this is God's will, your sanctification. That's a bit of a big uh, Christianese kind of word, isn't it? It sounds quite difficult and imposing, but it's not. It's very, it simply, it means day to day, you become more and more like Jesus. You're going through a process where you are being set apart from the world and the culture of the day to be made holy, your sanctification. This is God's will, Paul writes, that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality. He's getting even more practical and clear now, isn't he? Don't do this. The word that Paul uses that we read in English as sexual immorality is a very broad word. It can include many, 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 many things. And as Christians, as believers, we are to avoid and abstain from 
any and every form of sexual practice that lies outside of God's revealed will to us about that. So the word that we read as sexual immorality includes, but is not limited to, uh, adultery, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, and other uh, unnatural unions. The word that he uses that we read as sexual immorality is very, very broad and includes all of those practices, but he's not limited to all of those practices. He writes, this is God's will that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality. We need to remember too, the world to which Paul wrote this, the first century Roman culture was marked by those things that I just said, adultery, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, and other unnatural unions. At this time, in this place, what we would call the biblical sexual ethic, the Christian sexual ethic, that sex belongs inside a marriage of one man and one woman, that idea, that truth, was no, nowhere to be seen in this culture. Paul made it very clear that that is the will of God for the Christian, that you keep away from sexual immorality. How do we do that? That each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he says, stay away from all of that, abstain. No, 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 it's not for you if you're professing to be a Christian. Don't do any of that. How do we keep away from sexual immorality? You know how to possess your own body in holiness and honor. As a believer, as a Christian, we're, we're never the victim of circumstances. Oh, well, I find myself in this place, and if, uh, I don't know, I guess it kind of just happened. We're never the victims of our fleshly passions. Paul writes that sexual desires can be controlled with God's power. Now maybe you're, this is making you feel a bit uncomfortable. Maybe you're thinking, oh, objection. I can't help what I think. Uh, yeah, you can. Yes, you can. Maybe it's a process. Maybe it's not master of my own thoughts. But it, and it, maybe it'll take time to learn. But in his second letter to the Corinthians, he's writing, he says, we, we tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. He goes on here in 1 Thessalonians to say that taking your thoughts captive, controlling what you allow yourself to dwell on and think on, happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, God didn't call us to impurity, but holiness. Consequently, the one who rejects this is not rejecting human authority, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So very, very simply, if you refuse 
to accept this and refuse to change your perspective on this. Objection, can't control what I think. If you refuse to change your perspective on this, your heart, your mind, your actions on this, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting God, who, as, he, as Paul has written, has given you the Holy Spirit to overcome this. God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in you. Objection, can't control my thoughts. Yes, you can. Now, very, very practically, if this is something you are battling with, reach out to us and we will walk through it with you. We care deeply that you get on the right side of this and you defeat this. Because as Paul writes, this is God's will that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you, not a few people, not those in leadership, each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Again, it's knowing God. It's not knowing about God. In this matter, no one should violate the rights of his brother or take advantage of him because the Lord is the avenger. In all these cases, as we told you, as you already know, very, very clear, don't do this. Sexual sins are contrary to what a lot of people will say, sexual sins are never solo. Nobody's getting hurt with me doing this, watching this, going there. No. They always hurt somebody. As Paul writes, they violate the rights of, of your brother, your sister, to take advantage of somebody. Having an affair outside of your marriage is one obvious example of this. But so is sleeping around before you get married. So is sleeping around full stop. You're taking away something that should belong to somebody else. Leon Morris wrote that the future partner has been defrauded, stolen from. Again and again and again. In Leviticus chapter 18, there's a chapter where God teaches, instructs his people on sexual morality, what's right, what's wrong. The idea is that your nakedness, as the, uh, the phrase goes, so to speak, your nakedness, you using your body for sex, belongs to your spouse and nobody else. And it's a violation of God's law to give that nakedness to anyone else or for anybody else to take it. Again, Paul writes, God didn't call us to impurity, but in holiness. If you reject this, you are not rejecting human authority, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. There's the power to do this. You know, teaching these things and declaring these things, are, they're so countercultural. The world that we live in will tell you, no, this is all all right. You do you. So teaching and declaring these things that are so countercultural, things that I know for sure there'll be some people who are listening right now will be struggling with this kind of stuff. Some people maybe feel that once or twice here or there or doesn't, I, nobody's getting hurt, so it's fine. I'm all right. No, it's fine. 
we read the one who rejects this is not rejecting human authority, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Reading that and then declaring this to you makes it a whole lot easier for me to say, look, if you are doing this, you are wrong and you need to stop it now. That's not my interpretation. That's not my application. It's very, very clear. Whether you read it in your English Bibles, whether you turn to the original language of Scripture and think, oh, maybe something's been mistranslated and maybe this translator's got an agenda. I'll see if there's any wiggle room for me to get away with X, Y, or Z. In the original language, no, there isn't. This is crystal clear. Whether you read it in your English Bible with me now, whether you go and look at the original languages, if you are doing any of this, if you are letting your mind dwell on any of this for your own sake and for the sake of our community, stop it now. And if you don't, if you refuse to stop doing or dwelling on these things, you're not rejecting me. The guy that talks about the Bible once a week, you are rejecting God. And then... Why are you even listening? If you are listening to this and not prepared to do this, why? Save yourself the time. This is a sin in your life that you are allowing yourself to commit or allowing your mind to dwell on. Objection, can't control my thoughts. Yes, you can. Sin has devastating consequences for you and your life. Please, Stop it and get help. God has provided all that you will ever need to defeat this through His Word, His indwelling Holy Spirit, and His church, the people around you who love you and care for you and want you, as Paul writes, to stay away from sexual immorality. Paul's pretty clear here, isn't he? There's a way not to live professing to be a believer. Now, it turns to the positive. So don't do this. Come on, don't do this. Here's why. Do this instead. Let's read again verses 9 to 12. He writes, Now, on the topic of brotherly love, you've no need for anybody to write you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you are practicing it toward all the brothers and sisters in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. To aspire to lead a quiet life, to attend to your own business, to work with your own hands, as we commanded you. In this way, you will live a decent life before outsiders and not be in need. So, verses 3 to 8, sexual immorality, no. Loving other believers, yes, is what he's writing. Loving other believers is so fundamental to being a Christian, but it is so hard, isn't it? We're commanded to love other people. And if you've ever met any other people, you know people are so difficult. We are all a little bit weird, and we're all on the wrong day, very difficult, aren't we? Uh, where I grew up, uh, there was a phrase that said, there's nothing as queer as folk. And what that means is, 
people are really strange. <laughs> people are really difficult. If you've met any people, you know that that is true. There's nothing as queer as folk. People are strange. People are difficult. <laughs> we all are. This is not just you. This is all of us. What did, but what did Jesus say about loving people? He said, everybody will know by this that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That makes it so much more difficult, doesn't it? It's not just a suggestion that we've taken out of the text. <laughs> Jesus said it. Everybody's going to know that you're a disciple. Everybody's going to know you're a Christian if you love other people. You think, oh, people are so difficult. <laughs> think about it like this. As Paul writes, you're taught by God to love one another. So vertically, we are known and we are loved by God. And that teaches us what, what love is. And then horizontally, as we are known and loved by God, horizontally we then get to know and get to love other people. Because of the love we get here, we can take it out there. Paul is very encouraging on this. He writes, indeed, you're, you're doing it. You're doing it. Good for you. Do it more. You know you can do a bit more is what he's saying. So do more and more and more. We know you're doing it more and more and more. Don't stop doing it. Focus on the fundamentals. Jesus said, didn't he? People will know you're my disciple. People will know you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus if you love other people. Paul then writes a little bit about how, uh, what this looks like, how to love other people. He says, aspire to lead a quiet life, peaceful life, calm life. Not always drama, drama, drama. Attend to your own business, work with your own hands. As we've told you before, in this way you live a decent life before outsiders. Decent, he means grace-filled and, 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 and content and peaceful, and you won't be in need. You won't be a burden on the community because you're taking care of the fundamental things of being uh, known and loved by God, and then you're doing your best to put that out to the community by getting to know and getting to love other people. This goes against so much of the culture that the Thessalonians were living in, and, and same for us too. Your Christian life is not about acquiring more, bigger, better, brasher, louder, richer, faster. Paul is saying, focus on what matters, being known by and loved by God. And then getting to know and learning to love other people. He's saying, don't use your body for those things, sexual immorality, verses three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. He's saying, use your body for these things. Aspire to lead a peaceful life. We're not chasing after the next thrill. We're looking for real, lasting peace and contentment. Focus on what matters. Take care of your, your own business. Mind your own business is actually a very biblical thing. Work with your own hands. As we've told you, he's saying get involved and get to it. Be active in your Christian life. Love other people by living out your Christian life. Don't use your body and your energies for these things, verses 3 to 8. Get involved with what God is doing and love other people. And again, the love you get vertically, the acceptance and the forgiveness and the grace you get vertically, take it and give it out horizontally as well. 
Why? He says, you'll lead a decent life before outsiders, not be in need. Decent, grace-filled, gracious, with contentment and peace. And if the Thessalonians took this as God's word, as sound exposition of the wealth of scriptural knowledge that Paul had before, they're going to lack nothing. They're going to come to a place of genuine Christian maturity and, and in other of his letters Paul said that's what we're that's what we're about that's why we're preaching and teaching to bring you to a genuine place of Christian maturity where you know God you don't just know about God and when you know God you're going to want to live like this it's quite a passionate passage isn't it uh Last week, he was passionate and saying how he felt and what he wanted despite earthly circumstances. Here, he is equally as, as passionate about how he wants his people, how God wants his people to live and how they're not to live, where their focus should be. As we said, practicing and allowing your minds to dwell on sexual sins, as with any other sin, has devastating consequences in your life. Sin separates us from God. It might start small, a thought, looking at something, somebody, watching some stuff that you shouldn't watch, reading some stuff that you shouldn't read, going to a place that you've got no business going. But then that, there's, a, there's a little desire there then. You've allowed your minds to dwell on it. You've not taken those thoughts captive. And those desires grow. And they grow into sin. And when that's fully formed, as James writes, sin leads to death. As sure as the sun shines, Scripture tells us that the wages of sin, what you will get for sinning, is death. Paul has been really clear here what not to do, but what to do instead. And how this victory is possible, the catalyst that means he can love these people like this and write to them in this very blunt manner. Why he could say, stop doing that. The key to all of that is Jesus. It's not their own willpower Hey, Thessalonians, look deep inside yourself. Search for the hero inside yourself. And, and come on, do it. Make a change in your life. If you want to see the world change, look at yourself. Make a change first. That's not what he's saying. And let me tell you as well, your willpower, your own willpower, will never defeat sin's hold on your life. The key to all of this is Jesus. You were made for more than sexual sins. You are made for, for more than any sin. Your sin has devastating consequences for your life. Your sin brings death. But Jesus brings life. Sin leads to death. Jesus is life. He came and lived through his death and resurrection, he ushered in this new way of life, a new way of relating to God, a new way of seeing yourself and your sin, a new way of defeating sin's hold over you 
and claiming the victory that you know you want, but you will never get in your own willpower. Paul wrote that God has called you to live in holiness and that he has given his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus, to empower you to do that. It's all there for you. Jesus came and paid the price and penalty for your sin. Please turn to him for forgiveness and restoration for a fresh start. Where you've been letting yourself down and where you've been letting other people down in these ways that we've talked about today or in any way, where you've been selfishly loving yourself more than loving others in these ways and in any way, please turn to Jesus, ask forgiveness, repent of that, turn away from that, take some positive steps in your life to to stay away from sexual immorality, as Paul writes. Focus on what Paul has written about here and, and, and know this, please know this, that when you turn to Jesus for forgiveness, it's there. It's ready. And by dying that death on that cross, he has secured forgiveness for you from the consequences of your sin. And there is a new life, a fresh start waiting for those that ask him. The first step is to see your sin as sin. If you are ready to make that step, I want you to reach out to me today and we will connect you with the right people in the church family. We will walk side by side with you as you learn to see that God's will for you is that you become holy, that you stay away from sexual immorality, that you learn how to possess your own body in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions, and that you learn to love others more and more, and that you learn to see that Jesus is the key to all of this, his death, his resurrection, and the presence of his spirit in life. Let's pray.